Well, Oregon's Big Ten schedule of the future came out for each of the next five years, actually, on the week we play our future Big Ten rival in Washington. Some thoughts on that. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Lots to get to. Uh, An important reminder, it is Washington week. We have waited for a long time for this. It is a big, big week for the Ducks. No doubt about it. Talking about landing as a coach in year two, and could there be two Pac-12 teams in the playoff? It's technically possible. All coming up on today's show. I want to start with an an important reminder, though. I got several questions about this, and I'm a man of the people. This this be your show. I host it, but this is the people's show. I want it to be that way from now until the end of time. So I will answer questions because I had more than one of you reach out and say, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? And that thing is Oregon's Big Ten schedule in 2024. I just want to start with this reminder. We wait all year long for football season. From the time that Oregon played its last game in Dan Lanning's first year, at the end of December, there was about nine months of time that went by between one Oregon football game and the next. And for nine months, I worked as hard as I possibly can hosting this show to keep us all up to date, informed, engaged, and entertained on what's going on with the Ducks and what we should know, and who we need to focus on, and what we need to be aware of going into the 2023 season. When you have a podcast talking about the Ducks five days a week, that tends to be the point, is to make you as prepared as possible for this season, and everydayers certainly have been. So when these schedules got released last week, I kind of glossed over it and was like, oh, okay. And that was it. And then... Colin Coward made it a subject on his show, and it was on the Aunts and Audibles podcast. And I look, I've had Eric Scopel on the show. I like Eric. I'm not faulting them for talking about it. My point is it just became a subject of discussion more than I thought it would, and certainly more than I cared about it. Nine months is how long we waited for the season to begin. And once we got an inkling of here's what could happen in 2024, people were jumping all over it. And, and, and as we have officially begun Washington week, I, I just wanted to throw out the reminder to everybody. We are in the middle, smack dab in the middle, the heart, the center of the cinnamon roll of that thing we wait all year for, all year. There were, there were countdowns on in the comments section on this very show all summer long, 17 days, 16 days, 15 days. People were keeping track. Man, I can't wait. I couldn't wait. We were all waiting for September 2nd. And then the season is here. We have this massive game game against Washington. And people, probably because it was a bye week, wanted to talk about, oh man, what are the implications of 2024 and the 2025 schedule and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, guys, we're in 2023. Let's live in the moment. 
Let's live in the moment. Let's appreciate the season while it is here. I'm not saying that stuff is completely uninteresting and I'm not going to talk about it in the offseason. I absolutely will. But we're not in the offseason. We have the privilege, the luxury to be in the season right now. And that's where our focus should be. So I'll preface that or I'll preface this by saying that because a lot of you did ask. And I'll just give some quick thoughts because I think that's all that it's really, really worth looking at. So in 2024, Oregon's home games in the Big Ten, Illinois, Maryland, Washington, Michigan State, Ohio State, road games, Michigan, Purdue, UCLA, and Wisconsin. My thoughts on the matter, I lament the fall of the Pac-12. That's how I feel about it. A conference game against Illinois and Maryland? Really? Really? Interested to see we don't play both LA schools every year. Some years we do, but the only protected matchup appears to be Washington, which makes some sense. But I don't care for all the realignment. I'm glad Oregon has found a, a conference where it can be competitive financially and you know, uh, from a competitive standpoint in, in terms of the caliber of competition they're going up against. I am not glad how they got there. I do not like going to the Big Ten. I looked at all this and I honestly thought it feels weird. It feels wrong because it is weird and it is wrong in more ways than one. So I can't stand that. And like the, the schedule, eh. I, I barely thought about it. And then it was all over the place, shows and comment sections and Twitter and mailbag questions. And I was like, are, are, are we not in the middle of the season right now? Are we not? Um, yeah, playing playing Ohio State is is cool for you know television networks. I don't work for a television network at this point in time, and God willing, I will one day. But even then, I would have wanted to call Pac-12 games, and now I'll have to call whatever uh, is available at that time. But I don't know when that'll happen, so we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Another thing on the on the scheduling front, uh, this is from Steven. Spencer, longtime subscriber and daily listener. First time commenting. That's the modern version of longtime listener, first time caller. Love it. With new with the new Big Ten schedule coming out and taking the non-conference schedule into consideration, there are no openings for Oregon to play Oregon State until 2030. Do you think Oregon will be willing to break any of their contracts with previously scheduled non-conference schools to continue the rivalry, or should we expect the rivalry to be dormant for the next few years? Well, Contracts can be canceled. That That is not an uncommon practice. Um, before we knew they were going to be conference foes, Ohio State once upon a time canceled a home-and-home home with Michigan, or with, with Washington. Michigan canceled a home-and-home home with UCLA. The Wolverines and Buckeyes had to pay a fee. I don't know if Ohio State did because they're joining now, but uh, Michigan definitely because they were supposed to play uh, a home-and-home home with UCLA in 2021 and 2022. They canceled that because they're a bunch of cowards and they wanted to have a cupcake non-conference schedule, which I find to be repulsive. Scheduling is the biggest problem in college football, always has been, always will be, and you know can get better in conference realignment and such, but still, it is a problem in the non-conference slate. Michigan had to pay Washington for that, or had to pay UCLA for that, rather, because they canceled the game, lost out on some TV money, and you know you don't get as much interest from fans and everything like that when you're playing North Carolina Central, which is a team that UCLA played this year. 
so I, I just look at that and say, you know, it's certainly possible to to go to Boise State maybe and say, hey, what if we pay you a couple hundred thousand bucks so that we can play Oregon State, who we'd also probably paying to come to Austin Stadium. I would think you'd do it as a home and home. I would like to see that happen. But here's the thing. Same reaction I had looking at the Big Ten schedule. This feels weird and wrong. You know what would be weird and wrong? Not playing Oregon State in a football season. Well, if things already feel weird and wrong, I don't have any evidence at this point in time to to show me that that Oregon State game is a high priority to be preserved. Now, I think we're waiting on conference resolution for the Beavs and Cougs. We have to know what they're going to do before any of these decisions can get made. Right Before they set their schedule for 2024, they have to know what conference they're playing in, what sort of assets they, they do or do not have access to, what teams they're associated with. I would like for the rivalry to continue. It looks pretty bleak right now. It, it, it looks pretty darn bleak because we schedule these games in the non-conference slate so far out in advance. And this is you know a, a negative externality that I didn't even foresee when I'd held that opinion as of the moment I got out of college and first got on the air as, as a sports talk opinion host. I have always had this uh, perception about, about college football scheduling. And, and now this is just another downside to it. It's like the, the Civil War and the Apple Cup might be done after this year until things change again in a few years. I could definitely see, and I would say right now it seems more likely that, that those two matchups uh, go away for a little while. Perhaps they could come back one day. Landing said publicly, yeah, we'd like to have it continue. That's not a definitive statement of we're going to continue doing it. That's, yeah, we'd like to. Maybe they actually would. Can they actually make it happen? Is it in their best interests? Those are conversations um, that are far above my pay grade, to be sure. You know what's right in the wheelhouse of my pay grade, though? Talking about Athletic Brewing, because Athletic Brewing Company is changing the game. Look, Oregon didn't have a game-changing moment because they didn't have a game over the weekend. Arizona, though, almost had a game-changing moment, or five, that won them a game against USC. Noah Fafita was outstanding, so we'll shout him out here on the show. Just like there are game-changing plays every Saturday, Athletic Brewing Company is changing the non-alcoholic beer game. Their brews are great-tasting and award-winning. They beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. Over 50 styles of craft, non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Goldens, Sours, and more. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers, use code Locked On to get 15% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. A second segment sip is also fit for all times. It's most appropriate between the first and second segment, hence the name. Let's get into it. Mailbag, uh, we're going into the subtext community, which is how you get a priority mailbag question, by the way. There were other mailbag questions that I'm, of course, still going to answer on the show this week. And then questions came in via subtext, and man of my word that I am, that is a priority mailbag situation. So they go to the front of the line. You can join the Locked On Ducks subtext community in uh, the description wherever you're listening to or watching this show. You can also comment on YouTube. Hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at Locked On Ducks. DMs and mentions are wide open. Mailbag questions always welcome. Got a lot to get to this week. Already excited for tomorrow's show because of it. 
here from a subtext subscriber. Hey, Spencer, good morning. I hope you're having a good day. I am. But after watching another crystal ball special on Saturday, I got a question for the mailbag. But yeah, that was that was something, wasn't it? What improvements have you seen recently from our coaching staff, not just landing, from last year to this year and from game one to game five of this year? What grades would you give Lanning for each main aspect as a coach? Saw you give him grades earlier before the season started, wondering your updated grades going into the halfway point of the season. So a few areas to grade a coach in. There's game management. There's recruiting. You kind of have another one as, you know, culture and and such. Uh, And then there's scheme, right? Scheme and game management, not the same thing. Miami had a good enough scheme to win the game on Saturday. They did not have good enough game management. So scheme, game management, recruiting, and then, uh, you know, kind of culture around the program as well. I I don't know how you can put the culture at anything but an A plus uh, right now. I think I had adjustments as that category too. Uh, That might, that might be the fifth one in there. Um, I, I think the culture around Oregon football right now, I don't know, can it get much better? Recruiting, so that 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 feels like an A plus. Recruiting, I, I think at the moment is an A minus. Did 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 we all see? I know that I saw. Many of you have likely seen as well. There was a decommitment from a certain five star twenty twenty four edge prospect by the name of Elijah Rushing, who at one point in time looked like he was going to the Ducks. He then chose the Arizona Wildcats, who are a good football program, by the way. Jed Fish is doing a really nice job. He has now decommitted from the University of Arizona. How interesting. Goes to show you a couple things. Don't burn bridges and don't stop recruiting until kids sign on the dotted line. Now, is this a guarantee that Oregon's getting Elijah Rushing? Nope. Other schools are involved, right? Brian Smith came on here and I'll be talking to him on tomorrow's show about uh, this very prospect. He said that it was Oregon and Tennessee, ended up being Arizona, caught him by surprise. Well, you figure Oregon and Tennessee will be in the mix and others as well. So, and it was curious timing because Arizona just played an awesome game against USC. They played Washington tough last week. Everything about that program is trending up and he has decided to decommit. We'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. I think recruiting's at an A minus right now, which is very good. Now remember, I consider C to be average. But recruiting has not been average for Oregon right now. Under Dan Lanning, a top 10 class last year, and if he lands a five-star, whether it's Rushing or Aiden Breland, that class will be inside the top 10 again. That is really, really good. Now, A-plus would be like a top five class best in program history. Program history, excuse me. A-minus is, I think, pretty appropriate. They're sitting number 13 uh, in the 2024 composite rankings on 24-7 sports. Uh, game management. I think has been really good. I, I mean, to this point, it, it's hard to look at the way Lanning has managed the game when he's gone for it, when he hasn't, when he's made certain play calls. Like, what, what, what's been the big blunder this year? I, I haven't seen it. This season, at least. La- last year, some might say, well, he shouldn't have gone for it on those fourth downs. Okay, you can have that sort of criticism. The adjustments last year were way below average. I think I gave that a D plus. Uh, last time I did this this grade because Washington couldn't run the ball, but they moved the ball. Oregon State couldn't throw the ball, but they moved the ball, and there were just no adjustments there. So 
I, I think the the in-game adjustments so far this season have been really good. I think the scheme to this point has been a real solid A because the game plans that they are coming in with have been so darn effective, right? The worst game Oregon has played this year was Texas Tech. I know it was it took them a little while to get going against Stanford, but Texas Tech is the worst game that Oregon has played this year. And on the adjustments front, you know what Oregon has done since that game? Corrected the mistakes that reared their head in that game. Most notably the penalties, whether on the offensive line or in the secondary or hitting quarterbacks or whoever, whatever. It has been significantly better. Two penalties for 20 yards against the Cardinal, right? Still had too many penalty yards against Colorado. That has to remain low. You got to be under 50 penalty yards if you're going to go into Seattle and beat a really good Washington team. But when I look at what Lanning has done here in year two, I I thought that a season ago, the biggest feather in Dan Lanning's cap compared to Mario Cristobal's 2021 Oregon team was, hey, they're playing teams who they're just straight up better and more talented than, and they're playing like it and not playing down to their level of competition. Texas Tech is not a bad football team. With Tyler Shuck there, they were a dark horse Big 12 contender, which was clearly a bit too much for them, though their one loss that's oh so bad, Wyoming. Wyoming's in the top 25 at the moment, just saying. Or at least teetering on doing so. They beat Fresno State uh, last week and the Bulldogs had been undefeated. So Wyoming is a pretty darn good football team. Still, should have won the game. I believe that Texas Tech ends up in a bowl game this year. And Oregon went on the road to play Texas Tech. And that's a team that they are better than and played poorly and still won the football game. They're a better team than Colorado, housed them. Better than Stanford, 42-6. to Better than Hawaii, it was never close. Better than Portland State, one bad defensive drive, their first of the season since then. Gosh, they have been really, really good. So I think the way that his team mentally is ready to go on Saturdays is really good. Speaks to the culture I talked about. The scheme, the game plan they are coming in with has been really, really good. The execution has been there. Adjustments have been there. Stanford moved the ball down the field early in the game. Oregon adjusted. Weren't able to move the ball after that. Colorado, it was just a dominant scheme and they had better players too. Oregon did and they just never let him move the football, right? A lot of really good things. They are beating teams who they are better than by the amount of points that they should. And we haven't always seen Oregon teams do that, right? Mario Cristobal team, like Miami's got a lot more talent than Georgia Tech, I can tell you. But they played down to the competition and they had a ginormous blunder that we have all seen before. I I cannot believe that that happened again. Cannot believe it. I, I still cannot believe it. I don't know that I will ever be able to comprehend how he allowed that mistake to hurt his team for a second time. I, it, it, it is truly baffling. So I think that for Lanning, all the good things we saw last year, everything's just getting better, right? There were certainly areas where you say, hey, do you need to go for it on fourth down every time? Well, now he's got a defense I think he can trust. So in those big spots, he might be willing to punt the football or kick a field goal or you know what or what have you because he trusts his defense to be able to make a play. I don't know if he fully trusted him a year ago. Boy, he should right now because they've played really, really well this season. 
So you talk about development, you talk about growth, you talk about adjustments, game management, scheme, talent acquisition. It's all there right now. It's all there. And there's a big test in front of them uh, this Saturday. Great question. Great, great question. Gosh, you guys asked fantastic questions. Here's one for you. Why haven't you checked out eBay Motors yet? Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. That's simple. With eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's keep rolling. Two more mailbag questions. This one from the subtext community as well. With Washington State losing to UCLA on the road, does that give you more confidence that Oregon will beat them later this month? Not not more confidence per se. I was always confident Oregon would beat them. I still, as we look ahead to you know next Saturday, beyond the Washington game, which is when the Cougs come to Austin, I, I still do believe that that is the quintessential trap game for the Ducks in 2023. Washington State is a good football team. They have a really good quarterback who did not play well on Saturday. And the reason I felt it was a trap game is because Washington State has got a good coach, a solid defense, and a good quarterback. That, that, that can be a recipe to pull an upset or two or just be a good football team, which Washington State is. Now, at no point in time, despite a couple select YouTube commenters, whose names I don't even remember at this point, it was so long ago, were uh, pointing out to me that I was being too negative, saying we'd lose to Washington State. No, I, I don't think that. I'm just saying you have to be on your guard. Like One way or another, Washington is going to be an emotional game. It's either going to be a massive letdown or an emotional win. There's no in-between. It's one of those two outcomes. And they'll be coming back home for the first time in a month, a calendar month will have passed from the last game at Autzen Stadium to the next one. It's a weird schedule, but that's the way it works. Because you got the bye, you got Stanford, you got Washington. So the Cougs never had an offensive line that scared me. And I didn't really know what Oregon's defensive line would be. That's their big advantage, though. Is Washington State couldn't do anything offensively because their offensive line was outmatched going up against UCLA. At Autzen Stadium, I love the Ducks' defensive line there. I absolutely love them in that matchup. But I don't feel differently about Washington State as much as I feel differently about UCLA, who could be a touch better than I thought, but also I I think is a good but not great football team because their quarterback situation is limiting. Dante Moore is good, but he's a true freshman. He makes true freshman mistakes all the time. So I think the Cougs are the same team I thought they were. They have been better than I thought this season. And yeah, they had to stumble on the road last week. And if you struggle on the road against UCLA, you're going to struggle on the road against Oregon, certainly. If you struggle with UCLA's defensive line, you're going to struggle with Oregon's defensive line. Those are probably 
the best two defensive fronts in the country. Washington's is in the mix for that as well. Washington State's, quite frankly, is really, really good. But I feel the same about that Washington State game. It's one that I predicted Oregon to win before the season. I still think they will win. I fully expect and you know would be surprised if they lost. That said, it's not a game that I think Oregon, Oregon can look at and, and see it as Arizona State or Hawaii or you know Cal is not uh, super good this year or Stanford, right? It's not a game of that caliber. So my opinion of Washington State hasn't changed. And I, I think my, my view on them has just been amplified after last week, which is they are a good football team. They're capable of being dangerous. Their offensive line is not very good. And I love Oregon's defensive front. I like it a lot. And I think they can have a big day. Cam Ward, those we learned last year, he's tough to tackle. He's really tough to tackle. Last one here. This is from Ryan. Hey, Spencer, thanks again for answering my question. You're welcome. I'm going to do it again. I asked last time. Oh, I forgot to finish that sentence. He said, thanks again for asking, answering my question I asked last time. Do you think the pack could get two playoff teams? Like if the title game is a rematch of the Washington Ducks matchup this weekend and the one loss team beats the undefeated team? No. I say no, not because two teams at that stage aren't capable of being college football playoff caliber teams. I say that because the four-team playoff, which is why I love it so much, provides the maximum amount of urgency for anything beyond the BCS model of two teams and provides an incredibly high threshold to get into the playoffs. So let's assume for a moment that the SEC champion is Georgia. Zero losses, one loss, or even if they go 12-0 and then lose the title game to like a two or three loss LSU team or something like that. LSU is not very good, but just as an example. Okay, let's say Georgia is in. Georgia's schedule is really easy. They're undefeated or one loss, power five champ or not. Um, Georgia's getting in, right? As long as they appear in the conference championship game and they have one or zero losses, Georgia is in. Okay, there's one. The Big Ten champion is going to get in. Whoever wins the Big Ten between Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan will, number one, have a conference championship. Number two, will likely, because they are a team of that caliber, only have one or zero losses. And number three, will have a resume sufficient to give them a de facto automatic berth. So the Big Ten champion is in. You see where I'm going with this. Okay, that's two spots that I cannot see being open to a one-loss non-Power 5 champion out of the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is bolstering its reputation at the time when it's dying. Good job, guys. Uh, Better late than never doesn't apply here because it's too late. But it is definitely perceived, rightly so, as the deepest conference in America. However... If you look at the AP poll closely, which is not what gets voted upon for the college football playoff, but the two are like perception matters in a big way. And there are national people around this discussion. If you look at the AP poll, they still love their SEC teams and don't love as much their West Coast teams. I'll give you an example. I'm recording the show on Sunday night. I believe the AP poll is uh, updated. I'm going to pull it up. Uh, real quick. So 
Oregon stayed put. USC fell down to uh, number 10, Texas number 9, all that good jazz. Washington State has fallen down to 19. 19. Oregon State is up to 15. Alabama is at 11. North Carolina is at 12. Ole Miss. Ole Miss is at 13. Ole Miss wins this year. Mercer, number 24, Tulane. Georgia Tech, a loss to Alabama by two scores. A win against number 13, LSU, who shouldn't be ranked, and a win against unranked Arkansas. Washington State's schedule this year goes as follows. A win against Colorado State. A win against number 19, Wisconsin, who are receiving top 25 AP votes again, but that's a top 20 win. A win against Northern Colorado. A win against number 14 at the time, Oregon State, who's number 15 right now, and they're promptly ranked behind, and an eight-point loss on the road to UCLA. Tell me why, other than the SEC factor, Ole Miss is ahead of Washington State. The Cougs have two top 20 wins on their resume and a single-digit loss to a team that is ranked in uh, UCLA at uh, number 18. Ole Miss has a two-possession loss to the only top 20 team uh, that's knocked them off. One of their wins is against LSU, who stinks. It's still out there, is my point. It, it, It is still out there. The favoritism towards certain conferences, programs, schools, brands, whatever, it still exists. And barring a massive slew of upsets and losses and teams underperforming between an 11 and 1 Oregon and a 12 and 0 Washington I see a world in where only one of them gets in and it's the winner of the Pac-12 championship game I can see that cuz you also have Oklahoma or Texas vying for the Big 12 championship as a one loss or an unbeaten They'll be in the mix. Florida State out of the ACC who had that big win early in the year against LSU. Doesn't matter how much LSU's brand diminishes over the course of this season as we see that they're not a great football team. They should have lost to Missouri on Saturday. It's still out there. So Big 12, Big 10, SEC. If you have one or zero loss conference champions there, they're getting in. They're getting in. So... It is technically possible, yes. It is still, however, unlikely because of how the world tends to view West Coast football and also the nature of the 14 playoff, which some people would use to make an argument to expand the playoff. I would say it's just the opposite because I can't wait. It's going to be madness. It's going to be mayhem. But there, there is a hard-to-see world. You, you would need the Big 12 champion to have two losses, you would need probably another conference champion to have two losses. And then the teams they're beating, like if, say for instance, Georgia goes to the SEC championship game at 11-1, and one, you, you need them to lose that game and be 11-2. and two. That, That's what you would need to happen in probably two other conferences between the SEC, Big 10, Big 12, or ACC. That's what has to happen. So interesting question though. Love it. Keep them coming. Got plenty of mailbag this week. Got plenty of time this week before the big game on Saturday. We'll get there. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.